Yes, it is. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for being here. Excited to preach God's word this morning. Is anybody in the room, any chance someone's got a Starbucks cup? Anybody go to Starbucks on the way here? No Starbucks cups? Come on, Judd. I was counting on you, buddy. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what they look like this time of year. Um, so thought it was appropriate to read to you um, just a, a, a statement from the creative director of Starbucks. And it's, uh, it says this. Our thought behind the cups this year, so think Christmas cup, right? Our thought behind the cups this year was about people carrying them out into the world as messengers of joy. Jeff Wilkson, Starbucks creative director, said in a statement, In a way, that message deepened as we got further and further into this year. We want to be that beacon for people, a brief moment that they can look forward to. Now, this is week two of our Advent series. Uh, I'm not trying to diss on Starbucks. Um, I'm not opposed to the Christmas cup, Um, but I just want to bring that to us. It's a cup. It's a cup of coffee. Um, And we, the church, we are the beacon. Let's make that clear, right? We are the beacon. We are the one that carries the message of joy. It comes not in a cup of coffee. It comes in a Savior who is Jesus. And that's why we're here. And that's when we're celebrating, what we're celebrating when we celebrate Advent. This is week two. Last week, Alex kicked us off in our Advent series in um, preaching on Mary's song. This morning, we pick up that, the, the theme of our Advent with prophet, priest, king. Now, I've kind of wrecked some things this week, both for the graphics person, who is my wife, and for the auditorium designer, who is Patty, um, prophet. Well, I've, I've, I've messed it up because this week, I called an audible, and I'm preaching the priest this week as opposed to the prophet. So that says priest, and so does any graphics that might show up behind me. Um, And the reason being is I wanted to preach priest because today is Communion Sunday. And the theme of the great high priest is just fitting for Communion Sunday. So if you do not have your elements, as been already said, there's a table in the back. There's a table over here. Please feel free to get up and get your, get your elements. Now, if you're new to the church, you might not know this, but if you've been here more than six months, you know I love the Christmas season. Nothing like Christmas Day. Um, I thought it was amazing when I was a child, and then I had children. And then I found out it's really amazing when you have children. When your gaze goes away from the tree and the gifts and the presents, and it goes to your, the eyes of your children, and you see their joy and excitement just lit up, that's when it really starts to get fun. But I want you to imagine with me, I want you to imagine the gaze, the Old Testament, God's people, the Israelites, when God split the Red Sea in two and they walked across on dry land. I want you to imagine the gaze on God's people when they marched around Jericho that final time and he caused walls to come crumbling down without them lifting a finger. I want you to imagine with me, turn away from the wine. When Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding, turn away from the wine and look at the gaze on the people's faces. Why don't you imagine the gaze when he caused blind Bartimaeus to see or the lame man to walk. And I want you to imagine the gaze that took place at Bethlehem for the few who had gathered. They are the first witnesses that God has come and taken on human flesh and now lays in a manger before them. I want you to imagine the gaze When Jesus, Acts chapter 1, ascended in front of his disciples, 
We're not talking about kids on Christmas Day here. We're talking Jesus just ascended in front of them. I want you to imagine the expression on our faces. When one day the trumpet will sound and Christ will return for his bride. I love Christmas. I love that we are adventing. I say adventing because I want to I say it's a verb. There's action that's taking place. We're not just standing aback from that. We are actively anticipating, celebrating, marching towards December 25th, where we celebrate Christ has come and taken on human flesh. That's what we are adventing this morning. Is there a rocket going off today? You know, imagine the day. <laughs> imagine the day. It's well timing. Thank you, SpaceX. Thank you, Elon, for that well-timed launch, if it was Elon. Yeah, so it's a verb. We are adventing. That is active. Celebrating Christ came into the world and Christ will come again for his people. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would come and meet with us this morning. Lord, as we await that day, as we celebrate today, as we look forward to once again celebrating on December 25th, you came down. And in doing so, we also advent. We look forward to that day you will come down again. That second time, not as a baby, that second time you will come as a king and you will call us home. So we rejoice and we celebrate. Please be with us as we preach your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So it's a simple sermon out of Hebrews this morning. It only has two points. The first point is Jesus, our high priest, is described. And number two, Jesus, our high priest, is applied. He's described and then he's applied. We begin with how Hebrews describes uh, Jesus, the high priest. You know, if you're going to clean a floor, if you have a dirty floor, you're going to need something clean to get that dirty floor cleaned, right? So if you have a dirty mop, you're not going to get the dirty floor clean until you get the mop cleaned. If you don't, then my mama taught me that you're just spreading around the dirt. And so you got to keep going back to the, to the clean bucket of water. And when the bucket of water gets dirty, right, you got to go pitch it out and you got to get some clean water in there or else you're not going to get the dirty floor clean. It requires a clean object to clean a dirty object. But here's the thing. When a clean thing cleans a dirty thing, the clean thing becomes dirty. Okay? That just described Advent. Christ came down. It's so much more than a cute baby in the manger. Christ came down to take a dirty thing and make it clean. And he does this by making himself the clean thing dirty with our sin. That's what we're celebrating when we celebrate Advent and we're talking about the great high priest. Because, because of my sin, because I am dirty, Christ came and lived a perfect life. He lived a clean life, if you will, so that when he died on the cross, he took my dirt on himself and he gave me his righteousness. He cleaned me and he cleans you and I. When you're reading the book of Hebrews, the author is going to assume some things. 
And the biggest thing that the author of Hebrews assumes on you, the reader, is that you have an understanding of the Old Testament, at least at some level. It, 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 it assumes that you understand some things about the Old Testament priest, the Old Testament sacrifice, the point of the blood that was spilled, and, and, and. It assumes some things, um, especially out of the book of Leviticus specifically. The whole book of Hebrews is absolutely rooted in the Old Testament. Hebrews is about comparisons. Those ladies who went through the Hebrew study this year with Jen Wilkins, um, title of the study was better, which means what? Better than, better than something else. It's, it's, it's implied in the title that Jen's going to help you look at Hebrews and see, we're going to make some comparisons. And when we make those comparisons, we're going to find out Jesus is better. And that's what's going on in our text this morning, making some comparisons, comparing Jesus. Well, in Hebrews, wider, wider context, going to compare Jesus to Moses. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus to Aaron. Jesus is better than Aaron. Jesus to the Old Testament priest. Jesus is better than the Old Testament priest. Jesus to the sacrifices. Jesus is better than all those sacrifices. Jesus to the, the blood that was spilled. Jesus is better than the blood that was spilled. Jesus is a high priest. Jesus is the high priest. And in our text, we're shown that the glory of Christ is being compared to the, all those Old Testament priests. The book of Hebrews begins, chapter one, verses one through three says this. See if you don't hear the theme, prophet, priest, king. Actually, I'll make sure you do. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. All right, we're making a comparison here. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Why? Because he, he's the great prophet. All right, and so, so this is what the prophet would do. The prophet was a spokesman for God. God spoke his word to the prophet. The prophet spoke that word to the people. The priest was entirely different. The priest, on behalf of the people, spoke to God. It went in the other direction, all right? So, um, so, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, that is prophet, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purifications for sins. Who does that? priest. Priest does that. Jesus is the prophet. He's the priest. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's the king. He's the prophet. He's the priest. He's the king. And so the way that Hebrews is going to unpack for us the radiance of the glory of God is by showing us that Christ is the high priest by comparing him to all those other Old Testament High priest. Now, if you had a son and you were living in Old Testament Israel and your son came to you and said, Mom, Dad, I want to be a priest. You would need to explain to son, um, you don't just want your way into becoming a priest. There are some job descriptions, if you will. There are some responsibilities, and Hebrews is going to unpack those for us. So let's walk through this to help your son out. Chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men. So the very first thing that we see here about the high priest is he was selected from among the people. He was among men. So it's another way of saying he had to be one of them to then be able to represent them. It's not as if they could just get 
a stranger to roll in to then represent them. He, he had to, to, to represent them, he had to be one of them. And that's what a priest would do. He would represent the people to before God. He was responsible to bring that sacrificial animal on behalf of the sins of the people. He's going to represent the people in bringing sacrifices to God for their sins. We could say he was a go-between. Or the Bible says it like this, he was a mediator. So speaking of Jesus, Hebrews chapter two says this, therefore he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect. You hear what that's saying? He's gotta be among them. He's gotta be one of them. He's got to, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. You see, Jesus took on human flesh when he did. Again, it's not just simply a oh, cute baby in the manger. It, when Jesus took on human flesh to then grow up and become the great high priest, he is among the men, among the people. Meaning Jesus wasn't kind of like a man. And we kind of, we get this a little confused theologically because, well, because our brains can't contain the glory that God, that Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. Now, if you Raise your hand and go, I get it. No, you don't. Just the thought that you say, I get it, tells you you don't get it. There's mystery in the glories of God. He's beyond us. We are created. He is the creator. It's okay for him to be beyond us. Be comfortable with that mystery. But here's the thing. He became fully man so that he would be selected among men so that he would then represent the people. So let that sink in a minute. Fully man, fully God. Now he didn't use his Godhood to in some way kind of leverage a perfect life. He lived the perfect life in his fully manness. That's why scripture speaks of he is the second Adam. Because the first Adam failed, the second Adam in his manhood lived a perfect life. He was without sin. And that's important. You say, well, what was the big deal? Well, the big deal is. If he didn't live a perfect life in his manhood, you and I are not forgiven of our sins. The big deal is, what does it have to do with Advent? Everything with Advent. Because it's not simply about the baby in the manger. It's about the baby who's going to become one of us, among us, selected out from us to then represent us on the cross. Another way to say it, he was clean, but he made himself dirty with our sins on the cross so that we who are dirty are made clean in his perfect righteousness. Something clean had to get dirty. It always does. If you want to make something dirty clean. It always does. So here's what's so amazing about Advent, about Christmas. The Son of God was born, and he came down. He condescended. He walked among us. He became, he lived among us. He was fully God. He was fully man so that he would then rise up from among the people and go to God the Father on behalf of the people, on behalf of you and me. The great high priest will go to the cross and he will represent you on the cross. 
So the priests had to be one of them. And Christ lowered himself and became one of us to then represent us. Look at 5.1 again. For the high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. All right, step back, big picture, prophet, priest, king for a moment. The prophet, Jesus came as the prophet, right? And the idea there is again, God's word to the prophet, to the people. When the prophet spoke, he was revealing God, who God is. Jesus came as the great prophet. He is, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God, right? So he himself embodies the message. He is the word. He is the prophet, all right? So the prophet reveals God to us. He's the word. The priest, he came as a priest. That, that, that's, he reconciled us to God, all right? He's the savior. He is the king, meaning he's reigning over all. He is victor, all right? So he's the word, he's the savior, he's the victor. He's revealing, he's reconciling, he's reigning. He is the prophet, the priest, the king. Back to the priest. The priest was a mediator. That's what's being referred to here when it says to act on behalf of men in relation to God. It's incredible. Jesus acted on behalf of you and me in relation to God. Jesus acted on behalf of you and me in relation to God. To what end? It says to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. All right, so we're just gonna preach right through this text. Every word counts. Let's go back to chapter four, verse 14, because the, the contrast of Jesus, the great high priest, and the Old Testament priests, that contrast started back there in chapter four. Verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. He passed through. That was, that was what I referred to earlier. Like the, the wider context of Jesus, the high priest here, is really talking about that. It's his ascension into heaven. So the gaze of the disciples, Acts 1, when he ascended, is being referenced here. And he passed into the heavens, out of the sight right, of, of the disciples. And the Old Testament priest, he would once a year pass through the veil out of the sight of the people to then offer sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He would do this again next year. He would do that again the year after that. He would do that again the year after that. It's called the Day of Atonement. And every year, the priest would be found making sacrifices for himself, making sacrifices on behalf of the people. Hebrews 9, 7. The high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, he, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Christ ascended out of the sight of the disciples, having offered himself as a sacrifice for sins. He is the once and for all sacrifice. No more sacrifices are needed. Christ's blood is enough. We're not going back next year, day of atonement. We're not going back the year after that day of atonement. We're not going back. Why? Because he's the great high priest and he is himself the sacrifice for sins. He's called out among the people to go on behalf of the people. Christ's blood is enough to forgive you of all your sins, past, present, future. His blood is enough. There's nothing you can add. Jesus is the great high priest. He's the better priest. There's no priest to go to. Sometimes people, when they're first meeting me out you know, in the community, and they find out I'm a pastor. Judd, did this happen to you? Like people would say like, so are you a priest? Are you a father? 
Um, you know, and they're trying to wrap their heads around, what are you? And I usually make a joke, no, I'm a rabbi. And then, and then we would laugh a little bit and I would tell them, I'm just Tim. I'm one of the pastors here, but I'm Tim. The Catholic Church would continue to say, you need a priest. I'm here to tell you the gospel tells you otherwise. You've got the best priest. And his sacrifice is sufficient to cover all of your sins. So when we were on um, sabbatical a few years back, we were in Cape Cod. And one of the things we did as a family is each week we took our kids to a different church, like a very different church, because this is all they've ever known, like Tanner and my son, Tim. So we're taking them to, to different churches for them to get a flavor of like, what is it like out there? And so one week, um, we, it was the week we're going to a Catholic church. I wanted them to see a Catholic church. Alex's son, Alex Jr. was there. Judah was there. They had flown up for the week. And so the night before church, that sounds funny, doesn't it? I'm not gonna start a poem. Um, the night before, I'm talking to them and just explaining to them, look, tomorrow in church, I'm not going to be taking communion and they're going to have communion. Now, for me, it's a conscience issue. I'm not trying to impose my conscience on you, but here's why. The priest did his job. He followed Catholicism accurately in saying prior to inviting people to receive the elements, he communicated these words. We are re-sacrificing Jesus. And this cup doesn't represent, like we intentionally say, this represents Christ's blood. Now he said, this miraculously turns into Christ's blood and he will be re-sacrificed and he will be re-crucified in his body. I gotta say, I'm not signing up for that because I serve the great high priest whose sacrifice is once and for all. And so I had to say, okay, guys, so tomorrow there's going to be this awkward moment because in the Catholic church, everybody's going to stand up and everybody's going to go to the front. And here we are, <laughs> the heathen Merwins. It's a theological reason why I struggle with that. I hope you see that. I'm not going to re-sacrifice Christ. I'm not, yeah. Praise be to God, his sacrifice on the cross is effective. It does what it was intended to do. And we're not going to come back around and re-sacrifice Christ. And we're not going to come back around and celebrate the, the day of atonement. Um, we do do this, which is Remember what Christ has accomplished, but it's done. It's done, church. It is done. It goes on, chapter, uh, chapter five, verse two, it says, speaking of the Old Testament priest, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. I love that verse. It is kind of funny to me. It is, it is helpful. It's, it's showing the Old Testament priest, you're a sinner too. You're beset with weakness. Now, if you were an Old Testament priest, you probably were ready to sacrifice the people. Like these people won't stop sinning. It just never ends with these guys. And you're ready to knock their heads together and just say, would you please just stop it? You can imagine what that must have been like. And so it's kind of cool to me that the author of Hebrews is saying that guy needs to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Hey, pal, no self-righteousness for you. You think you're the high priest. I mean, yeah, he was, you know, but, but no, you're not all that. That is why when the priest entered into the Holy of Holies, meaning here's a veil, 
you will cross through the veil, it is a stark reminder. Hey, pal, you're not all that. And you better, you better have your game face on. You better know what you're doing as a high priest, that you're not going into the Holy of Holies flippantly, casually. Yeah, I'm the high priest. Now, you're beset with weakness, friend. And so because of that, deal with the people gently. How cool is that? I just love that. But here's the thing. You ready for this? The last time, it's just a few verses back, that the author of Hebrews refers to weakness is back there in chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. Hear how Jesus will deal, not with him having besetting weakness, how will Jesus deal with our weakness? Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. That's a praise be to God moment. That is is to say, Scripture is saying, Jesus will deal gently not because he has besetting sin. He will deal gently because you and I do. Jesus can sympathize with our weakness because he was tempted in every way and yet he's not like any of those Old Testament priests. He was without sin. Verse four, he's called out by God. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. So he's called out by God. Your son says, hey, mom, dad, I want to be a priest. Okay, well, you're going to need, God's going to need to call you out. Here's the thing, in, in Jesus' day, this, this shifted, right? God was no longer calling the priest. Herod was. And that was significant. Because no longer were the high priests representing the people. The high priest was representing the establishment. Often, he didn't live among the people lived above the people. Very difficult when you live above the people to be gentle or recognize besetting weakness in yourself. So now instead of acting on behalf of the people, representing the people, now the high priest was acting on behalf of the establishment, on behalf of the government. Christ was called by God to then represent you as the perfect, spotless, one and only sacrifice. His blood complete as the great high priest so that none others are needed. You don't need a priest to sacrifice on your behalf. Why would we step down when we've been given the better priest. We have Jesus himself. You go directly to Jesus because Jesus, the great high priest, was not only the great high priest, but he also brought the sacrifice who was himself. And this is why, church, legalism is so disgusting. I don't say that self-righteously, legalism in me is so disgusting. Why? Well, because legalism is a crooked sacrifice of sorts. It's, it's a means to say, thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice, but it's just not good enough. I need to sacrifice. I need to make up for the dirt the sin in me, I need, that's really good sacrifice. It covers a lot of my sin, but obviously I need to, I need to fill in the gap. 
A dirty thing cannot clean a dirty thing. And that's what legalism attempts to do. It attempts to say, thank you very much, but not enough. Here's what I'm going to add to the equation to then gain your favor because Jesus' sacrifice doesn't quite get me there. Not enough favor being done there. And in light of all of my sin, certainly I need to be doing some things to correct that. Now, here's the thing, all right? So don't come to church trying to fill the gap. Why? Because you have a better high priest. His sacrifice is enough for your sins. His sacrifice, not your sacrifices, fill the gap that you are made entirely clean in Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate when we're talking about Jesus, born of a virgin, there in the manger, is to then say, look, friends, look, okay, so don't come to church trying to fill the gap. Come to church because he's accomplished it all. And the difference is, the first one, I'm going to worship myself. The second one, I worship. I come because of his sacrifice. I come because he is the great high priest. There is nothing I can do to add to his sacrifice. Praise be to God. I belong to him. I'm going to church, not to some way gain his favor. I'm going to church because I've already been given it. Don't come to give in an offering to in some way manipulate things, crooked sacrifice, right? I'm gonna give in the offering because of all the bad things I've, I've done. And so I'm gonna do some good things to erase those bad things. And in some way, unbeknownst probably to us, what we're actually saying is, Jesus, thank you for being a high priest. It's just that you're not good enough to get me all the way there. Am I saying don't give in the offering? No, I'm saying give with the right motive. I'm saying give in the offering because he is the great high priest, because the sacrifice does matter so that you can then give without compulsion, right? Paul to the Corinthians, without any compulsion. I can just give freely out of worship because I, I'm free from having to try to earn forgiveness. It's all been granted. Now I just give out of worship. He's the great high priest. The same goes for reading your Bible. The same goes for praying. The same goes on and on and on. Since we have this high priest, that is the high priest described. Secondly, is the high priest applied. So he says in verse 14, since then we have a great high priest. What does he say? Since we have a priest, let us hold fast our confession. I think sometimes we forget how difficult life was first century Christianity. Like we process things through our own set of circumstances, through our own sufferings, right? Like we, we think, we've mentioned it a number of times this year, like COVID is not all that. Like when you think of, you know, some of us, we've known people with COVID. Some of you have had COVID. God bless you. Jim is still on breathing helps because of COVID. Some of you know friends or loved ones who have died of COVID. Hear me. If you are living in first century Christianity, you may have known of or have friends or families who were literally burnt as candles in Nero's garden. Like we're not talking about COVID. You, you literally, you may have had loved ones who had been fed to the lions. And that's the, the wider context. Often the author of Hebrews is addressing this intense, this immense suffering as a believer in Christ. And so he's saying this, in light of your sufferings, you have a great high priest and because you do, let us Hold fast our confession. 
that's as good as I can make it. Meaning, hold fast to Jesus, your perfect sacrifice. Stop with the nonsense of trying to add to his. Hold fast to your confession. Jesus Christ is my Savior. Hold fast to your confession. His blood is sufficient to fully save me. There's nothing I can do to add to his blood. Hold fast to your confession, church. To hold fast to your confession, you are holding fast to the one, the called out one, who sympathizes with our weaknesses and is yet without sin. Hold fast, church, who offered a sacrifice of which was himself, who was born and lived among men and went to God on your behalf. One of the ways that we hold fast to our confession is right here. This is how we hold fast. There's a number of ways we do, but this is one of those ways. Hold fast to your confession when you receive communion this morning. We confess this morning in communion, Jesus is my high priest. Jesus is the sacrifice. His blood is what saves me. Another way to put it when it says, let us hold fast, I like to think of it like this, own it. Hold fast, own it, own it. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you have a sense that Christ has been drawing you and you're at a place this morning to repent of your sins and to trust in Jesus, own it, do that. Cry out to God, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner and I need you, Jesus, to save me from my sins. I am dirty. Christ came. I'm putting my trust in you, that you were clean, and you are so clean. You took the dirt of my sin on yourself, and you gave me your righteousness. Own it, church. Own it. Own it means publicly own it. Confess it. Confess it. Own it means if Christ calls me to suffer for Christ, then let us hold fast our confession. We just don't know. We don't know where America is going. We don't know what the next 10 years will bring. Hey, listen, if I end up in jail for being faithful to this word, please come and visit me, right? Let's own it together because we're gonna continue to preach this book through and through. We are compelled to, we must preach this book. Fortunately, we live in America. And quite frankly, as crazy as this past year has been, it's quite simple to preach this book. But if I was preaching to you this morning, we're all living in China, I'm gonna say to you the same thing, own it. Own it, own it. If that means suffering, own it. And if that means prison, own it. If that means torture, own it. For the glory of Christ, own it. Own it means you may be ridiculed in the university. Own it means you may be mocked in the workplace. Confess Jesus Christ is my great high priest. His sacrifice saves me from my every sin. Own it. You know what, church? That's what we've already done this morning. When we started the service and the band began to play and we began to sing, guess what we were doing? We were holding fast to our confession. We were singing it. We were owning it. Did you, did you hear the words? And he is the, the father, the son, and the spirit. We sang about him being the king of kings. We sang about his majesty. Jesus Christ is my, our salvation. Own it, right? Right? Like sing about it. Because as we sing, right? We, we, 
we want to be God-centered, right? We sing to the Lord. That's primary, right? But understand, you're singing to each other. There's a difference when you drive in the car and you sing, Jesus is my salvation, than when you stand in the air and you sing, Jesus is my salvation. Because you're singing it to the Lord in both places, but here you're singing it to each other as well. You're owning your confession. And I just say, sing it louder, right? When you, amen, when you amen in the sermon, what are you doing? You're holding fast to your confession. And whether others around you are amening with you, there's a sense, right, that, that you're going, yeah, that's right, that's right, amen is abounding in your heart, right? Like that's just the sense of we need each other in our confession. I can say amen as I'm listening to John Piper going down the road, but I probably won't even do that. Like there's just something tangibly different. Let us hold fast to our confession. So I call on you, hold fast in this Christmas season. Do not cower in your faith around unbelievers. Do not cower in the marketplace of this world. Let us celebrate Christ. Let us confess Christ in our homes. Let us confess Christ in our community. Let us confess Christ in the workplace. Let us come here on Sunday and let us confess Christ. Hold fast to your confession. Amen. 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 Let us, number two, then with confidence draw near. Both of these are rooted in the fact that he's the great high priest. Because he's the great high priest, he says, since we have a great high priest, let us hold fast. Secondly, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Or we could say it like this, let us, some of your translations come with boldness right? It can literally, it can literally be translated with, with frank boldness, draw near to God. Or we could say it like this, let us without any hesitation, draw near to God. Let there be no hesitating. Why? Because he's the great high priest. Like this is not what it's saying that you should come with confidence and boldness because doggone it, you're getting it done. Like look at you this week. Look at all the godly things we've done this week. Let us come with confidence. No! Let us come with confidence because of what Christ has done, acting on our behalf, sympathizing in our weaknesses. Praise be to God. Justin, if you could join me, even though your child is calling for you. <laughs> No hesitation, no tentativeness. Holy Scripture here is calling us to prayer. Come to the throne of grace. That's kingly, by the way. I hope you notice that. There's a lot of kinglies in Hebrews. Come to the throne of grace because Jesus is your great high priest. Listen. When the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, when he crossed that veil... Like I said it earlier, he didn't come flippantly. He didn't come to the Holy of Holies with confidence, boldness. No, he came shaking in his boots. Like, like it, it, it's, hey, bro, you forgot something. You forgot we're supposed to tie a rope around your ankle. You're not coming with boldness here. Don't forget, because if you die in there, none of us can come get you. We're gonna have to drag you out. What happened? That we'd go from tie an ankle around the guy, tie a rope around the guy's ankle to Hebrews 4, where we got 16, come with confidence. What happened? Jesus is the great high priest. Praise be to God. He's better than all those Old Testament priests who are beset with weakness. 
He is without sin. And so now today you come and you come because of the work of Jesus Christ. Hold fast to that confession. Hold fast to Jesus Christ. He's your great high priest. Last thought, let us hold fast and let us draw near. It's not an accident. Like scripture's communicating something to us. This is not just your private quiet time drawing near to God. This is corporate. We gather together to confess Christ. We gather together every Sunday between the two services, there's a prayer meeting. It happens in the gathering room. I want to call us, let us come to the throne of grace, not just as a bunch of, you know, 100 individuals, but as one people, let us confess him, let us draw near to that throne of grace. Why? Because he's the great high priest. If you would, hold the elements. This represents the body and blood of Christ. It is not miraculously going to change into the body of blood of Jesus Christ, but it does represent it. We're not going to re-sacrifice Christ this morning, but we are going to do what Scripture calls us to. We are going to remember his sacrifice this morning. So this, my friends, brothers and sisters, represents none less than the body of Jesus Christ that was broken on your behalf because he not only is the great high priest, he's the great sacrifice. And all those Old Testament sacrifices and all that blood that was shed and the animal bodies that were broken were insufficient to get it done, but not Jesus. We celebrate Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the sacrifice that saves us from our sins. Let's take the bread together. And holding the cup, this represents none other than the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ was poured out on that cross for our sins. That you and I can say today, past, present, future sins, forgiven by the Savior is because of the blood of Christ. Let's rejoice, let's celebrate in taking the cup together. And so God, hear our confession. Jesus Christ, you're the Savior. You're the high priest. And we lift your name on high. And so as we close our time together, as we sing certainly to you, Lord, we sing to each other. We sing our confessions today. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for taking on human flesh, for living a perfect life, for dying on the cross, for ascending to the Father. And you will one day return for your bride. Be praised. Let's stand together.